Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport Series 16 episode 19. It's the 12th of May 2021 and it's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday evening here in the UK. I'm John Heindorf and up in London our executive producer is Tim Gray. Good evening Tim. Good evening John. What a wonderful sunny evening it is. We've had a funny day today best part of the day now I wish I was sitting outside actually but I'm not but we will do you later say that on every, in the every show you say oh I wish I was outside well I didn't the other way when it was pouring down we had thunder and lightning yesterday it's very, weird very frightening um, on a packed programme tonight we have all the usual features uh, we have some news we have a, a big interview we have a interview that's uh, just as big but not so big interview uh, we have pointless press release of the it's week. Nowhere, it's, it's not even as third. Uh, it'll not be even as third a big because Mark Miller is a busy, 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 busy man. Uh, ah, but is what he's saying a third as important? Uh, I don't think so. No, no, that's that's Mark, content-wise, it's as big. I'm sure. Mark Miller and uh, Mark Miller will be on tonight to talk about IMSA in the second hour of tonight's program. And our big interview is Johnny Morland, and we'll connect with him just after. Nine o'clock and tonight. And also talking about him tonight is Shay Adam, our regular North American Excellent. correspondent, and talking about things on this side of the Atlantic, Nick Damon will be with us as well. Shall we do a little bit of housekeeping? Yes. Uh, hello to the Sim Racing Bar Steward, listening live tonight whilst chilling out by taking some seedlings from Gothenburg to Frankfurt in Euro Truck Simulator 2. I have it set up so that the RS1 feed plays through the cab radio. Nick Damon will get this, I'm sure. I think that's more of a Johnny Palmer type thing. The, I, I, I have seen this, and it would while away my hours. I don't get it. Matt and Dean is... What do you think Johnny Palmer does in quarantine? Um, self-isolation, love. No quarantine. Um... Matt Endine says, AFAs for tonight, competing again on a grass auto test this time. Uh, I love the fact that uh, Bluefiend and Brody Flat 4 are getting competitive with their uh, 944s. Oh, you disappeared in the background there. Uh, with their 944 restorations. Bluefian uh, says, all right, Brody, got my 944 Turbo running in time for Midweek Motorsport. How's your project? Tuning in live today. And just to prove, by the way, that it is 
actually running. With a bit of luck, we should uh, over here. Oh, no, I've got that routed to the wrong place. I can hear it running here. Oh, that sounds very nice, actually. I'll get back to that later. I promise. Um, it would help if I actually had some power into that. That's probably better. Uh, who else have we got tonight? Kevin Payne is listening in. Uh, Don K also listening live. The Colonel says, well done to Sir Lewis on becoming a centurion. Massive achievement. Uh, no FAs for him tonight. Brody says, <laughs> Bluefiend, the back end's nearly done. Sills ready to weld. Are you ready for the road? Listening live from underneath the 944. Hello to Mickey Heth to right turn lover. No FAs needed uh, this week there. Uh, oh, uh, what's JM doing now that he's retired? Uh, he was racing at the weekend. I'll ask him about that, actually. Uh, Kevin Payne, we've mentioned. And for some reason, I can't scroll up. There we go. Gufflamon, tuned in, ready for the green flag. Uh, anything on N24? Yeah, Stephen Lloyd, listening live for the first time in a few weeks. Phil, I say Phil. Uh, any news from motorsport in the UK for spectators? A roundup would be good if we know. I'm sure Tim has all the news on that. Fabian Zimmerman, back to tune in for the final two hours of driving home across a very wet German autobahn. Travel well and safely, Fabi. Crotchbelt, listening in. Matt, Horty Hawkins, listening in live for an hour before work. The rest of the pod I'll do overnight. Morning, says Jack Martin, speaking to us from the future. Jason Anthony. Hello, Jason. No AFAs from him tonight, listening on the way to racing sailboats in New Jersey. <gasps> Envy. Envy. Kevin Glass is back on the road and listening uh, live after catching up on five weeks of shows. Johnny Austin listening tonight. Patrick Drone. Uh, Adrian Ball looking forward to the specutainment speculation on the embargoed McLaren announcement. We can't possibly speak on that at all because it's embargoed. Although, in fairness, nobody said to us it's embargoed. Not to me. Well, not to you. Dave Alcock, good evening. The Collective, hope everybody's well. Uh, unhappy news for Dave. Lost his midweek motorsport listening feline Tigger with an ear who uh, had sadly had a heart condition, been a bit out of sorts. Dave, we pass on our best. Sorry to hear the sad news about Tigger. Great name for a cat, though. Jules uh, Bridge. Uh, in for some, saving the archive for the drive to work. We'll need that after being jabbed for a second time at lunchtime. And Jordan Groves listening. Uh, taking a bit from practising for the Indy 500 iRacing this weekend. Spooner in Orange late, but here. Listening and still recovering from a cracking Thruxton weekend. British touring cars getting underway there. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, welcome to you all at Specutainment if you would like to get in touch with us. And I will f- find the time. Tim, remind me, I will play it. Blur Fiends 944 Turbo at some stage uh, in in the show tonight because I, I think it's right that we should do I know that. Just it's the place for that. Do you? Do you want a little? Do you want a little? But not sneak? now. Not now. No. We need to Are get into sure? the news. All right. Let's do the news. 
latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And the top story tonight with papers shuffled, with rustling in the background. Tim Gray has the all-important top story. And for this top story, I need to introduce Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Because this is a story that relates to Formula One. Hooray! It's the only place to be. Formula One for me. Oh, dear. I did that. Yeah. We we should have we should have listened to all the tweets beforehand and well, taken there was no, the blue last smarties week, away. Last week I was relegated to the, the back end of the second hour and told to hurry up, so I'm taking my time this week. Okay. Oh dear. <laughs> back in 1966, we were being encouraged to oh, bend it a little bit by Dave D. Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch. But only three years yes. later, Formula One said no to flexibility, at least where wings are concerned. And this week, they've gone further with the FIA single-seater technical boss Nicholas Tombasis saying, we will be looking out for any anomalous behaviour of the deformation of the rear wing. In particular, we will not tolerate any persistent out-of-plane deformation that may be contrived to circumvent the symmetrical loading applied in the load deflection tests. What does that mean, Nick? Excellent. Well, it means you missed a good chance to get a bend it like Beckham quote in. Um, you know, the you are our bendy expert, yeah. of course. Well, I do. I'm obviously being married to a to a yoga teacher. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. So basically, this is this is the re- everlasting recurrence of the wonders of um, the manufacturing process of carbon fiber materials and the ability to make them flex at different loads and speeds by incredible clever use up of the layup of the said carbon fiber to achieve the effect of um, yes aerodynamic flexibility. Um, so this yeah. this is this is deliberate flexing, not accidental. And as as is key, the first thing you have to understand is that everything has to flex a bit, or it will shatter. Yes. So they have to move a little bit. You can't think it's totally rigid or shatter. But obviously, we've had um, this flexing has been a, a never-ending battle, really, since about two thousand and five, when I think there were some elements of manufacturing of carbon managed to work out how to make the slot gaps disappear in the rear wing, if you remember that one. Yes. Um, and they had to put a little stiff slot gap separated. And then, of course, there's all the work on the front wing, which uh, Red Bull were constantly being caught for and constantly, you know, they're, 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 right. they're right, we'll put 20 kilograms either side and then they'd find a way of bending it at 50. And, and, and finally managed to get away. The, the, oddly, the, the bendy front wing was kind of legislated out because it's just not a very easy way of getting to work with the the new wings so now we have kind of out of the blue um because this hadn't really been rumbling i think out of the blue um lewis hamilton made a comment i think post qualifying saying you know i'm not surprised that suddenly max Verstappen was on the pace i've been massively off it on friday because they put their new wing on that's all bendy down the straights and were three tenths of a second so christian hall went kind of foobard it oh it's all down to, to toto toto said we're doing it and, and everyone went oh, okay fair enough but then how they do it and unfortunately or fortunately or well you know in the wonderful world of formula one tv they managed to show a rearward facing view yeah. of max Lappin's rear wing i think ostensibly of course just to show how close lewis was as he went down the main street to barcelona and lo and behold his rear wing was bending backwards uh, under load and then say ping up under braking and just to explain to you again if a, a big draggy rear wing bends backwards it reduces the drag so effectively it means that you can go a little bit quicker down the straight and have a little bit more downforce in the corners which is why flex aerodynamics or move aerodynamics is so 
attractive to try and happen. So despite the fact that rear wing has passed the current test, they, as of the French Grand Prix in June, um, which is three Grand Prix away actually, uh, they will be doing a much more stringent test as well as monitoring on the cameras and asking the teams to put like little marks on the wing so they can actually see the level of deflection under the cameras and they're telling them not to do it. How much so, are they allowed, Nick? Is it two degrees? It's really small, yeah. It's about a degree, a degree and a half because they right. have to deflect, otherwise they would break. But yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the shot from uh, the Red Bull was pretty damning. I mean, damage not the right word because they haven't actually broken a rule. This is, it's absolutely clear. Red Bull have done nothing wrong. But there's a static, and, and the, the point the point yes. about that is, and I'm by no means an expert, however, mm. there is a static deflection test yes. where you put a weight on those parts, whether it's the front wing, the rear wing or whatever, and if it doesn't deform by a certain amount, or so long as it's within that certain amount, it's legal. Obviously, yeah. it's far more difficult, Nick, to monitor that in the real world at 180 miles an hour plus down the front straight at Barcelona. And whilst we understand that, so do the teams. And therefore, they can stretch the envelope, bend the envelope, yeah, bend uh, the envelope yeah. uh, a wee bit on that because... As you said, they're not breaking any rules because when that has been tested, which I'm sure it has been, with oh, yeah, the yeah, right. with the bag of sugar on it or whatever it is that you've, you've got it, whatever weight it is you use, it hasn't deflected more than it's allowed to. Am I being oversimplistic no, there? That's exactly the point. They haven't, but the rules are now being um, the interpretation of the rules is being toughened up, and they are adding visual aids during the actual race. So you will see because Mark, little, that's tough. those little marks like you have on crash test dummies showing them where they're moving and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, well, that's, that's I, difficult to police, Nick. I'm not no, I'm not I'm not picking sides here at all. And obviously, Red Bull have some performance to make up. But that's really difficult to police because if you've got a headwind and your car's doing 190 miles an hour, it might actually be in relation to what's going on the wind it might actually have the wind going across it at 220 miles an hour which it doesn't normally do and therefore it might deform more because of the squaring of drag if you have a heavy headwind you don't reach the same sort of top speed but i know what you're saying but you have to design a car that is within the rules the entirety of the grand prix um, if external conditions wow. change, you still need to be within the rules, so they have to put a margin in. I mean, what, what will happen is, I mean, it's it, it, it is again, Red Bull are obviously very, very good at this, this um, flexible carbon layup, and they've managed to find that. Yeah, in fairness, I think it's you know well done then. That's what you should be doing. Well, in so fairness, well, well done to the poor apprentice who found out he was yes. absolutely rubbish at laying up <laughs> carbon, but but it just bends the right amount. Hang on, hang on, Trevor, Trevor, we're not sacking you. We're going to have from, you do all of our wings from, from now, now on. Do it exactly now the same. Head of composite technology. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, so they've got three more races, including a very useful race in Baku, which is a massively long straight. They'll then have to straighten things up and people will be looking at the cameras to see if they're moving. And they'll say they won't because, you know, they'll just go back to how they were before. So it's a light of advice they've got. The FIA wants to take it away because it is a movable aerodynamic device and it is a slippery slope because mm. eventually everyone else would throw whatever money they have left over into doing the same thing. So it's one, of those, not, it's one of those things where you get a you know you get a little advantage for half a season, which is which is good in F one. So you know, I'm 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 absolutely all for it. It's absolutely key point to point out here 
that unlike Ferrari's engine, this is not cheating. <laughs> this is doing what you're supposed to do, which is interpreting the rules correctly. Yeah, and, and, and every time it's been checked, it. it's been within the limits. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. Can I yeah. just mention, by the way, and thank you to Sarah Rigby for reminding me, it is National Nurses Day in the UK Ooh. today. So huge thank you and a huge hello to nurses and indeed... Um, obviously, when I say nurses, I mean all healthcare professionals. Um, thank you very much indeed for all your hard work, always, but particularly over the, the last few weeks. Midweek Motorsports. You know, today series. is also uh, National Root Canal Appreciation Day. Re- you've made that up, haven't you? No. This is a game show. This is not. Is root Canal or Root Vegetable? Serious. Root Canal. Well, root why canal. the hell would you appreciate having a Root Canal? I've never appreciated it. I've had so a few always the sec- second Wednesday of May. Oh, well, my goodness. strangely, I haven't seen the Hallmark cards for that one yet, but I'm sure they're coming. Mm. Uh, Midweek Motorsports Series 16, episode 19. We're in Formula One. Time for uh, one more Formula One? Uh, I'm just going to deviate away from Formula One. Uh, to bring have you, have, are you some... deflecting there? Uh, yes, uh, to bring you something shocking that I've seen in uh, social media in the last... What, uh, somebody being nice about someone? 40 minutes. Uh, Telling no, the truth. Not, well, there's very much uh, truth being told. Uh, Pietro right. Fittipaldi has posted a video of him uh, microwaving a cup of tea, um, <gasps> which has uh, brought on uh, mass condemnation from uh, the racing community. And, and tea. When will, the, when will these young men learn? Well, I think that's a grid penalty for his next race, isn't it? Well, Nick Yellowley sure. thinks I, he should I, be I imprisoned just... for it, so uh, I think you're being <laughs> quite nice there, John. Yeah. Uh, let's stay with Formula One for our second top story. Uh, the former governor of Santa Fe is in intensive care in Rosario following an operation to treat a hemorrhage yesterday. Carlos Reutemann, who also won 12 Formula One races before embarking on a political career, is said to be in a stable and lucid condition at the Sanatorio Parque Clinic. This night in the Guardian, where, it was, where the, being a, the uh, man, uh, governor of Santa Fe, was more important than his F1 career. Clearly. To the people of uh, Santa Fe, uh, it probably is. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, I hope, he's 79. I hope for a speedy Eve uh, had a governor on her Santa Fe, but uh, we removed it by electronic means. It was much better car after that. Uh, Turkey and Baku are not swapping dates, according to Baku. They're not, no. And Turkey, of course, has um, the Turkish Grand Prix, which only got reinstated a couple of weeks. Well, sorry, get reinstated. It got stated a couple of weeks ago. Well, that was subbing, uh, it's subbing for Canada, subbing, isn't it? Subbing in for Canada, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, they, they, they waved it in off the bench. Uh, has had two problems <laughs> this week. Um, problem one is um, actually, whilst it signs parochial, it's on the red list for uh, travel to in the UK, which you think, oh, it's just the UK. The only problem is. 80% of F1 comes from the UK. Correct. Um, and if you're on the red list, then you actually have to, when you come home, no excuses, you have to be quarantined in a stated hotel, which isn't obviously a possible thing to do. So the only other option is to keep everyone outside of the UK for another um, 10 days. Um, so it's, it's, in, it's a, a bit in a of non-red a, country. Yes, it's a logistical nightmare for them, um, which they haven't worked out a way of getting around yet. Dear so Liberty, that, talk to UEFA. 
Well, yes, but then they, 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 it's harder to move a Grand Prix than it is to move a Champions League final. And also, they've already been to Portugal. Well, stick yeah, another one in Portugal. Or bring it to the UK. Stick another one at Silverstone. I'm sure they wouldn't turn it down. Yeah, and they got a crowd there. Um, and of course, the sustainability the director it. now at Silverstone, haven't they? Think. You see that uh, announcement? They're today? expecting three hundred and fifty thousand people at Silverstone for the Grand Prix. Building new Grand stands. Mm. No, there's no reason not to. If one sticks, there, sticks to everything they should do. Um, anyway, so yes, yeah, so the, the Baku and um, Turkey want to swap because of Turkey's commitments to Euro 2020 matches. Um, not which happening. Which make a lot of sense because there won't be any fans there. No. So I'm not quite sure what the commitment is. So, yeah, I think actually what Turkey wants is I think it's presumably the Turkish um, football they... team because Turkey isn't hosting any Euro 2020 matches. Yeah. I, it's I, the so same I, group I, as I, Italy, I did... Wales and uh, Switzerland. Just proof so I, proof I, would I... need it that nothing happens in a vacuum. Yeah, but I think also they, 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 they either the chance of going um, trying to move the date for... for other reason i think it may have fitted better with this avoidance of issues on uh quarantine but yeah when it is looks it due, Nick? Looks when is it actually due the, the the is it the same weekend as as canada june canada 10th. was going to be yeah, on june 10th yeah right okay ah uh, so baku's hosting formula uh football on that weekend and in fact turkey are playing yes, in baku third yeah yeah oh, there we are that's why they can't um, swap so anyway but yeah so and yeah, it's going to be a difficult nightmare. The following race after Turkey is the French Grand Prix, so it's not the end of the world to send everyone to stay in France for a couple of weeks. Just not very pleasant for people who quite like to see their families. Uh, another postponement uh, because postponed. it looks like uh, Baku, uh, sorry, uh, Istanbul will become a postponement uh, is the 300 kilometres of Suzuka. Right. The next round of the. Uh, Autobac Super GT series. Yes. Uh, it was scheduled for the 29th and 30th of May and has been postponed indefinitely. Yes, unfortunately, it's also for COVID because Japan's having a bit of a, a bit of a, an uplift, which doesn't go particularly well for the Olympics. Don't talk about the Olympics. Oh, is that not allowed? No. Everybody gets very uptight when you talk about the Olympics, particularly people in Australia who can't get vaccinated because their vaccines are going to their Olympic team instead. <laughs> brilliant. Sorry, not brilliant. Uh, but I'm... <clears throat> um, Sir Phil says, can the quarantine take place in Silverstone's new hotel? That's genius! Well, not a bad idea. Genuinely. That's Other sporting events have, have done that, Nick, haven't but they? But they still have to stay there. They wouldn't be allowed out. That's the point. Uh, even to mix with each other. So... Yeah, I mean, it's just difficult. It's a difficult time. So presumably and, all the um, engineers could uh, stay in their hotel rooms and just work on the Wi-Fi. Look out the window. Well, yeah, look out the window with your, with your laptops. It's no different to what they would say from the pit lane. In fact, it's exactly the same, but reversed from what they would say. It's actually, it's actually better Those hotel the rooms would have a mirror as well. Wall. Yeah, good point. Uh, Alexander Orkin has tweeted, at Specutainment, you can do this too. Uh, all teams use CAD and FEA, Finite Element Analysis, CAD is uh, computer-aided design, to ensure what structures uh, do and what they are supposed to do. Perhaps, just saying, Alexander is, is pointing this out, FIA could mandate that data from all the teams to be provided in advance and be checked against the physical tests and wording of the newly worded regs. That's extremely sensible, Alexander. Which is why it's not going to happen. happen. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we're going to move on to bikes now. Oh, excellent. Which bit of bikes? Well, let's do lots of bikes. There is a lot of bikes, um, but there's only one bit of uh, World Superbikes. Um, so we'll do that bit first and dismiss it. Uh, okay. Which is that World Superbikes has agreed uh, extended TV deals for 32 different countries. Yes, yeah, it's 2025, isn't it, for, for Eurosport, I saw. Yes. Um, they also, we missed it last week, they've also added an extra round. Oh, have uh, they? In the Czech Republic. Yes, in the Czech Republic. Yes, not this in, is interesting, isn't it? Because... Not in, but not in Bruno, as we thought it was, because Bruno lost their Grand Prix, MotoGP, because of a bad track surface. And I thought it's a bit weird having WSBK going in. They're not. They're going to Most, which I've never Ooh. been to, I must admit. I've never um, been. Shall we go? Is, is, Czech, is, is the Czech August. Republic Amber. On, on the Amber list? It is Amber. Uh, well, it's, it, it might be green in three months' time. You never know. Fancy, do you fancy a cross a trans European bike ride, mate? Don't see why not. Isn't it the week before Le Mans, though? And then we can come true? back to Le Mans on the way back That's on our bikes. Sounds like quite a good idea. I quite fancy on the TR, but I never get there. Uh, not with the Lucas Electrics. Mm. Um, <laughs> That's not true, and you know it. I do know it. Well, yeah, not true now. I've replaced them all. Um, <laughs> So, yes, they got this, uh, so there's now an extra round, check round. And of course, they are starting um, World Superbikes on the 21st, sorry, 22nd of May at Aragon. And then they have back to back into Estoril. So Estoril was originally the, what was originally a TBA was announced a couple of weeks ago, Pirelli, Aragon round. But they've also got this check round as well, round six. So they are now up to 13 rounds again. So 39 races in the season. Uh, and just to prove we're live, it's nil-nil the football. Okay. Yeah. And also the cricket finished early with the Netherlands uh, only needing 98 runs uh, to uh, for f- 98 for 5 uh, chasing the uh, Irish 94 I think. And and I take it they got it. Uh, absolutely. That's why they they did, had five did, wickets remaining and did, 141 uh, balls left I think. Did, did are any of you two into cricket? I used to, I, I, I watch, watch cricket. cricket. I'm, not, I'm not not like you are but I watch it. Have you seen the the proposal about um, bamboo cricket bats? No. No. <gasps> Very interesting. I'll talk to you off air about that. There has to be a, a rule change because, of course, bamboo isn't wood. It's grass. But the thing to remember is that the, I'm, I'm all for that because, obviously, that means that every moment we can wheel out Dick Van Dyke and the old bamboo, the old bamboo, the old bamboo. Uh, we've lost Nick, unfortunately. To do the rest of the show without him. Staying with bikes, though, new rules uh, for Moto Two next year, but also new rules for Moto Two effective immediately. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I missed this. Tell me. Yes, tell us. Uh, so this uh, is regarding the MV Augusta and NTS bikes. Um, right. NTS will be allowed to use their front fender and main fairing design from 2020 for the remainder of 2021. Mm-hmm. And the Envy Augusta will be allowed to use the 2020 front fender, main fairing, seat and swing arm for the remainder of 2021. I don't know why this is a story. I'm sorry, I'm not that up to it. Well, the specification of bikes was frozen. Correct. Yeah. At a point last year where they, those two manufacturers were still using 2019 parts. 19, yes. And the freeze was supposed to be only for 2020 and 21 parts. 
But because the freeze goes to the end of 2021, the 2020 parts which they'd made but had not used at that point in 2020 weren't allowed to be used, but now they are. Right, okay, that makes, and, makes and is most that, sense. And is that, uh, and is that um, effectively balance of performance? So it's it's an irregularity within the homologation and they're putting that right Yes. to get the balance of performance. And they're also allowed to have two days of private testing each, uh, but not with their race uh, riders, only with test riders. Jesse has just tweeted in, my son tried out for college baseball, impressed everyone with his bamboo bat. Way better. Never knew it was grass. Bamboo is grass, not wood. It's they like bananas. Wood. I don't they grow do on trees. It's springy, though, isn't it? Very it, springy. And, well, uh, it's heavier than um, willow. It's heavier than willow. It does have a similar reflex, and it feels apparently the same. I'm, I'm now. I'm quite excited. I want to try a bamboo bat. I don't like a heavy so, bat. I like a, so I like the bat. So, it's so less you poisonous on the to fish as well. With Dennis Lilly and his aluminium bat then. Uh, Dennis Lilly's uh, aluminium bat was um, was outside the regulations even when he used it, and that's why it caused so much issue. And, and now we've lost every this. now we've lost every non Commonwealth listeners. We go back to motor racing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, at uh, at uh, at Specutainment, if you want to speak <laughs> to us about uh, Willow and the relative uh, uh, next week. Competition croquet. <laughs> well, uh, Willow. Could you imagine playing reads... croquet with Willow? <laughs> uh, yes, the the relative properties of uh, Willow and bamboo. Anyway, moving on. What have you got next? Uh, we are going to move on to sports cars. I think. Um... Hang on, we haven't finished with bikes yet. Oh, sorry, I thought you had. Oh yes, no, we haven't, have we? No, of course we haven't. We're back this weekend. Where are we this weekend, Nick? Uh, where we all have to be, it's uh, Le Mans and the Bugatti circuit. Lemons. Le Mans, may we. The, cir- the permanent circuit, de la Sarte, the, the Bugatti circuit, which is absolutely phenomenal for bikes. I actually really like it. I think it races really well. And I must remember to set everything up because we've got IMSA this weekend, so some of it's bound mm. to clash. So I must remember to set everything up because it's always great racing there and with a potential of a little bit of weather in central France, uh, that, as it did last year, could throw the proverbial feline amongst the aviary. Well, yeah, I'm not yeah, sure they're roosting an aviary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, what are we looking forward to this weekend? Can Forecast Mark... is right, by the way. I know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, will that help Mark Marquez? Well, it won't hinder him because he'll be going slower as it's less physical, but that bike's a bit ropey. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would also help Fabio, of course, who's um, recovering from arm pump surgery. Anything that reduces the loads is, is good news. So if it is wet, it'd be better news for Fabio um, physically. Um, I think he'll probably start the favourite. That's Quattorado. Quattorado, sorry. The other thing, of course, is it was actually, of course, it was damp last year, wasn't it, as well? And, and it was when, the start um, of Quattorado's... Yeah, Marquez, Alex Marquez drove rode on the Honda. So the Honda actually worked in the brilliantly. Way. He rode brilliantly. Quattararo, it was the start of his nightmare part of the season. It all went downhill from Le Mans. So, not the first French driver that's had, right that's happened to either. Um, 
why might Mark Marquez be in better shape if it's wet than if it's dry? Uh, two reasons. One, because there's less physicality and also because um, the bike is not enjoying. The bike's been developed in a certain direction and a certain direction has disappeared, it appears, mainly due to tyres. Um, 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 explain. This is about asymmetric well, and yeah, I mean, non-asymmetric. Inter- interestingly, it's actually, for those of you who follow MotoGP, the, 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 the Marquez thing is a sideshow, but the biggest shock of the season is how badly KTM are doing. Yeah. Because they were, they, you, yeah, you'd have put money on them. I think they had one Suzuki as well, mate. five or something, yeah. And, and the reason being is down to um, a rationalisation by a Michelin on the number of tyres they were bringing to each event. And they decide we're only going to bring a certain number of compounds and, and trucks to front and rear, and we're going to choose the ones which are most popular. And we should say that the front tyre is, quite frankly, the deciding factor in terms of lap times because the feel you get from the front tyre decides how quick you can go in and around it and as we've all know as motorcyclists, because if you haven't done it, it's only a matter of time. You might, if you have a bit of skill, slay, save a rear tyre sliding. You seldom, if ever, <laughs> save a front slide, do you? No, I mean, I think, I think we've, we've all locked the rear on a number of occasions, have it come around a certain amount. And you can get away with it as long as you've got most riders. If you've got enough space, you can get away with, a, with an issue at the rear. It's not normally a problem unless it, it rebites and high sides you, which normally you're not doing the speed for in road riding. Um, but the front, yeah, you, you've got to have total confidence in the front because if you lock the front, you know, unless you are Mark Marquez in his prime, you will go down. And if you don't have confidence in the front, therefore you, everything ends up running slower and slower and slower. And what has happened is, is that uh, Michelin used to bring uh, various different compounds, including a harder compound that was particularly popular um, with KTM and, and also with uh, Honda, and they've replaced it with what's called an asymmetric compound. And what the asymmetric means is it's actually got different compound um, hardness uh, in the sides. So when you're on the side of the tyre, which is obviously when it's in the cornering, it's harder. In the middle, yes, but it's, it's only soft. one side. It's only yeah. one side. So it's soft rubber for the most of the tyre. And then if it's a clockwise circuit, then obviously the right-hand side of the front tyre is a bit harder. The problem, as I hear it, Nick, is that that difference between the two compounds on the same tyre, remember, this is not two different tyres, it's the same tyre with a bit harder on one side or, or t'other. Um, it It's too great, that difference. Yeah, and it, it's, it, it's, it's not... The, the problem is it t- takes away the confidence of the rider. It's not too bad and you know, they, they go over and they're going to sl- they're going to fall off but it just doesn't it takes the rider confidence away and if you're asking well you know why do you need an asymmetric tire or why do you need a hard front tire which you know these teams do because just different bikes make their, their their lap times in different ways ducati it's all about the oomph down the straight you know the the, the yamaha is how it turns um through the middle of the middle and the exit the corners whereas the ktm and the hondas well certainly ktm the hondas perhaps more since it's been without mark marquez they make it all on corner entry so you need something, you need a very very efficient front tire to support you in corner entry. Yamaha, if you think about it, need a balanced tires front and rear to take you through the middle and the exit. And Ducati need a cracking rear to put the power down. So that's where the bikes are all different. But the fact is, you've got two two get two manufacturers, Ducati and Yamaha, which is uh, five teams. That's half the over half of them, more than that, actually, over half the group who don't have any interest in asymmetric tire and never or a hard front tire and never run it. 
the problem is that it wasn't every time that Honda ran the hard tire. It wasn't every time that KTM ran it. And obviously Aprilia and the other teams, and, and even Suzuki very rarely touched it. But I don't think Suzuki ran it at all last year, but they just found the compounds this year that aren't working and they would like it back again. Um, so everyone, they're all, but the fact is, I think it's, it's you know, it is the same for everybody. I know it sounds a bit weird. There, there wasn't anything Machiavelli about the removal of the tires. No. It wasn't like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get, it's just, you know, we're rationalizing. These are the ones we're going to give. Here they are for you all to test. And several teams found that it just didn't work as they tried to adjust the bike around it. And so now, but just the bike with settings and tire pressures and rebound. And that's, now they're having to make more comprehensive changes to geometry changes, change the head angle, change the, steer, the uh, swing arm and that sort of stuff. And it's just taking them a long time. And I think, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, the Honda, Honda have a problem. They've lost their development rider and they've lost their their, their their key rider last year. And I think they've gone down a blind alley, to be honest. They've got to try and now get back up again. And KTM just can't get the bike to work on the tyres. So we have a situation. And even Suzuki to a, to a point, though, I think that they are getting round that one. In you know, If Alex Rins hadn't fallen off the last two races, they're actually looking significantly better. So I'm not... I think that, that Suzuki might be just going, yeah, yeah, us too, us too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, really? Or is it just convenient? So but, what we're uh, seeing here is that the bike engineers are having to learn to engineer the bikes to the tyre rather than picking the tyres to fit the bike. And and this is causing some of them more uh, problems than yeah. others. So who wins in the weekend? Yeah, or, or, all bets are off because it's likely to be wet. So you know, I, th- I think if it's dry, I genuinely think that um, the Yamaha is the best race bike by a country mile. And, and I think Ducati should be slightly more concerned than they seem to be about that. I know they won last time out, but I think it's quite a Fabio's arm problem. If it's wet, the best rival win. Okay. Which leaves it a bit further up, but you're going to say Marquez. Enough of the bikes. What's next, Tim? <laughs> Uh, coming up after us at 10pm tonight, it's a special from the historic racing news team. We won't have an explanation of why she uh, walks like a woman and talks like a man, but we will have a story about what? why she flipped over at 250 kilometres an hour at uh, Mont Tremblant, as Brian Redmond tells uh, Jim Roller about his Lola, L-O-L-A, Lola, uh, and also Andrew Marriott and uh, Joe Bradley are reminiscing about uh, the McLarens of the Can-Am era. That's the historic racing news Can-Am special tonight at 10pm here on RS1. So stay tuned after us tonight. It's Midweek Motorsport Series 16. Would you believe we're already into programme number 19 of this 16th series? Uh, Nick Damon, along with executive producer Tim Gray, who's up in London, and me, John Hindhoff. Uh, second half of the programme tonight, uh, Mark Miller will be joining us on the line. Shea Adam talking IMSA and IndyCar. Uh, and we'll have a big interview with a bit of luck. We'll have Johnny Morlam. Uh, on the line to talk to us this evening. Uh, where would you like to go next? We're going to do some sports cars next. Uh, oh, right, and okay. they're at the Red Bull Ring in Austria for the first time in uh, three years. Uh, Johnny Palmer will LMS. be there for yeah. us uh, this weekend. Uh, he's currently in Vienna. Means nothing to him, though. Uh there are a couple of driver changes to talk about in LMGTE, uh, both of which are at the Proton Competition number 77 car, uh, where uh, Jackson Evans and Jamaria Bruni are both out and will be replaced by Kuhn really? McNeil and Matt Campbell. Uh, because what? I thought Jimmy was in for the season. 
Uh, I think he's going to a different car to be a pro. Ah, yes, he, that was the AM car. You're absolutely right. My apologies. Yes. So who? So um, well, they're not exactly making the car less competitive by putting, um, uh, by putting Matty Campbell in, are they? Let's be honest. No. Uh, we have an Austrian in the G- LMGTE class as well. Mm-hmm. Who is? And who's that? Well, you guess. Uh, is it a Stuck? It's louder. Oh, louder. Oh, sorry, I can't hear you. <laughs> Ricard Leeds. Right. Who's uh, alongside uh, Felipe Lazare and Michael Fassbender in the 93 Proton. Uh, Has he stopped crashing yet? Who? Fassbender? Fassbender, yeah. He's, it's a steep learning curve. I think he should oh, have... No, no, no. I, I respect him for it. If I had the money, I'd do it as well. I think he should have sp- spent one more year doing um, GT3 before he jumped up into GTE, if I'm honest. Uh, Cooper McNeil, of course, um, along with Christian Reid and, and Matty Cameron. Cooper's in for the rest of the season now. I remember we talked about that last week. Uh, sorry. Uh, about that. Um, LMP3 only... um, yeah. has 16 cars. Uh, cool racing yeah. the current championship leaders as after their win in Barcelona. Uh, trying to duplicate that victory with Matt Bell, Nicholas Cruton and Nicola Molini. And in the other car, Alexandre Coigny, uh, Nico Lapierre and Antonin Borga. And the highlight in LMP2, where there are also 16 cars, seven of which are Pro-Ams. Uh, the uh, Orland Actually, team... Actually, that's their P2 car, the cool racing car with uh, those three in. My apologies. Sorry, go ahead. The Orland team WRT uh, team lead the championship. They have an unchanged driver lineup. Jean-Denis... No, it's not Jean-Denis de la Traz, is it? It's uh, Baby de la Traz. What's his name? Uh, Louis Delatraz. Louis Delatraz. Robert Kubica. Robert Kubica. And Yifei Ye. Yifei Ye. Uh, and obviously we spoke to uh, Vincent Vost, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago after they'd won that. They're very happy. Um, problem with that is, Nick, once you've, you've gone out and won your first race, you've kind of got to repeat that. Vincent said, we'd have been happy with the top four or top five. We've won that one now. <laughs> keep on winning. <laughs> got to keep on uh, last time they were at the Red Bull Ring, as I say, was 2018. That race was won by G-Drive, and Roman Rusinov uh, is joined by Franco Colapinto and Nick De Vries this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a driver change as well in LMP2, uh, with no Harry Tinknell. Uh, Imza Duty. Uh, and he's replaced by Logan Sargent, who uh, oh, uh, you will have F3. seen... In Formula 3 at the weekend, if you were watching. If you didn't doze off. That was a proper F3 race. Wasn't it? Three just? proper F3. I, I, proper uh, I missed F3 the start race. of it. Um, didn't matter. But <laughs> I, I don't think I missed anything. No, you missed nothing. Well, I was a bit, a bit perplexed how the feature race is the same length as the sprint races. Mm. Mm. And doesn't have a pit stop. It's like... Or yeah, I I understand. It does, it, 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 it's not a very good filler for an event, the 
you know, F2, absolutely. But I mean, I seem that the... I enjoyed F3 the, last the, year, Nick. I really did. But I, I don't know. Does, I think it's Barcelona, but we can come back to that. Yeah, it's definitely when Barcelona. Does, um, when does Formula Formula Woman join up? Is that, on, is, that, is that joining up with the Formula 3 events? You mean W Series? Oh, sorry. Formula Woman was, was, was before, wasn't it? Was something else, sorry. Yes, W Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Show me age now. Very much so. I don't so. know. Uh, so Logan Sargent jumped into Racing Team Turkey, did you say? That's right, yes, in place of Harry yeah. Tingle. Yeah. Um, there's got, there'll be another change as well then, won't there? Because um, in the Euro International, is it Euro Interpol? Yes. Didn't they have a, didn't they have a driver who was IMSA-based as well? I think they well, are doing it up. all with uh, Polish okay. and Turkish drivers, yeah, okay. aren't they? Fine. Yeah, move on. Uh, uh, that's live at the weekend, anyway. It is, uh, yes. Johnny Palmer leads the team. Uh, Graham Goodman, editor of DailySportsCard.com, will be alongside him for the main race for the four hours of the Red uh, Red Bull Ring and for qualifying. But Johnny Saturday, will be Saturday, very much Sunday. on his own for uh, the Porsche Carrera Cup. Benelux. Ah, Shears reminded me. Uh, Renger van der Zander uh, has had to be replaced, of course, this weekend as well. So that was the uh, the driver. That was who you were thinking of. Yes, I knew there was another IMSA driver. And once uh, next Porsche question, uh, yeah. Paul Ricard is where uh, W Series begins this year on the 28th right. of June. Right. Uh, so Porsche Carrera Cup Benelux. And Ligier Euro Series, JP, mm. looking after them on various channels as well. No Michelin Le Mans Cup this weekend. So are we only carrying the four hours of the Red Bull ring, Tim? And qualifying. And qualifying. And okay. maybe the Porsches, if Eve says okay. so. Well, <laughs> hey, we are Porsche heavy. We um, are. After, after my Porsche Carrera Cup Asia debut at the weekend as commentator I should say not as driver although I did find <laughs> out that uh, FIA may well be C well an FIA um, C license is all you need to do Carrera Cups yes get in back of the net well back you've the net. Carrera Cup for the UK have you or not no I've driven I drove a car once but I've never raced not it raced it one. no I tested the one year the 996 the, the, the one year when they had that very rudimentary ABS system. The other thing you were, go on. Go on. Uh, the other thing you were uh, commentating on at the weekend was the qualifying race for the Nurburgring 24 Hours. Oh, and how much fun was that? Can we uh, start by talking about the TCR class where the race was over before it began? Idiots. <laughs> idiots. If that was I racing, they were idiots. That was real cars. Honestly. Um, Nick Damon Nick. watched it. Stupid. Nick, Nick, it's Sorry, TCRs. There was an almost identical accident there two years ago in the WTCC class. WTCC is fine. It's a three-lap race, not an issue. Two-lap race, isn't it? A three-lap, yeah. It's six-hour, and it was just... That was just just people pointlessly alpha-mailing themselves. Ridiculous. Uh, congratulations anyway, to the on, other Hyundai that did win the Ed 31 won the Ed 30 was taken home in black plastic bin bags uh, <laughs> along with the Matilda uh, Leon uh, sorry Cupra 
Um, <laughs> dear, dear me. Um, and eight minutes after the checkered flag, there was drama. Did you see this, uh, Tim? I Nick? didn't. No, I didn't see it. Well, it was a Porsche 123 across the line with Manti uh, in second being bracketed by the two um, Fricadelli Abelin 31 and 30 cars. However, eight minutes after the chequered flag fell, the, there was a one-minute and seven-second penalty applied to the Grello Manti car, which dropped it to fifth, I think, and promoted the bright green number 11 Phoenix Audi to third, making the Manti cars first and second. It's been a, let's be honest, Klaus Abelin lost his partner in life as well as his partner in the, the race team, Sabina Schmitz. It's been a pretty, and there's only one way to say, crap year for those guys emotionally. And they've had two one-two finishes now, one in the NLS and one in this. They absolutely nailed the strategy. They nailed their colours to the mast in terms of the pace. We discussed on Saturday between Snowy, JP and myself whether... They were worried about a BOP adjustment before we get to the main race. They don't care. They don't care. They went out there. They did the stuff. They raced in the right spirit. Uh, I don't think, don't think that you can uh, criticise them for that. The Porsches looked good. It was bone dry. It was relatively warm. And everybody else was literally in the in the wake of the Porsches. It didn't help that Frank Stippler had a couple of little very very unusual mistakes. Uh, one where he got caught up with a bat marker on the Grand Prix circuit at the Ford Curve. The other one where he got caught up with the Crone Porsche with Tracy Crone at it, where he actually just kept his foot in and pushed it sideways, both of which cost him time. And the time that it cost them was significant in terms of the, the finishing order. Great race. Looked fabulous. Uh, lots of helicopter shots on the, mm. uh, on the international feed. And... Can't wait for the the big race in, what, three weeks' time, and we'll have it live in sound and vision here across the RSL network. And, of course, winning the qualifying race doesn't guarantee that you'll be on pole position for the main race because we have four more qualifying sessions to go. That coverage starts on the 3rd of June at uh, 11.20am UK time. And they did did practice the... um the one-shot showdown qualifying. They did, Which yes. was interesting. Yeah, which was interesting. But they'll do that again. That, that's uh, come the qualifying for qualifying race that doesn't qualify you for a race. It's a misnomer. Excellent. It's, it's a misnomer. It's not a qualifying race. It's not but a qualifying let's race. let's into that it's now because we need to move on to Nick Damon's team-by-team review of the Spanish Grand Prix. There's no way he's going to okay. do this in nine minutes. I'm... Uh, Tim, give me a team. In uh, Bahrain, at the start of the season... Uh, everyone had previously done lots of practice in Bahrain, and uh, Honda's uh, young phenomenon Yuki Tsunoda looked really good because he's had lots of practice. Yes. Yuki Tsunoda's yes. had less practice at Barcelona uh, as he had yes. at Portimao, and has been uh, yes. generally terrible recently. Well, terrible is a bit unfair, underwhelming. Let's say I mean, he didn't have much chance in the race because he broke down after ten laps and uh, caused uh, the safety car. But yes, he's gone from being um, the greatest thing since sliced bread to just bread to dough to mouldy sort of bread you wouldn't want to pick up on the floor. Mouldy old dough. Mouldy old dough, Lieutenant Pigeon. Absolutely. His teammate is. 
is still is still young Pierre Gasly who managed to get the final point despite not being able to follow on the basic rules is you actually park your car in the correct slot at the start of the race he uh, he went past his line by about three meters and uh, got a five second penalty which in this in this day and age five seconds is uh is massive in fact well, yeah, we've probably given him three or four positions up as far as all the uh drs trains are concerned so, yes he made a small mistake but still got a one big point but what is basically an underperforming alpha towering team has right um the master only really got moaned at this this week i don't think he did he fell off at the start got moaned at, uh, but he really isn't doing very well. Mick Schumacher did the best he could, which was beat Nikita Mazepan by about three-tenths of a second. He out-qualified to Tifi as well. So Mick currently doing uh, a good job. Nikita Mazepan doing a bad job. How good is Mick? Don't know. How bad is Nikita? Don't know. But, you know, the hat is awful. I mean, you say one of them's doing a good job, one of them's doing a bad job. Both of them were two laps down, so they did the same job. Yeah, but one was doing it quicker. Alpine. Uh, yeah, looked really really good up until the point where the race started and then they kind of faded away Ocon I think qualified fifth and ended up ninth Alonso couldn't make a one stop of work which uh, Ocon did and ended up in 17th after taking tyres at the end so not the Spanish comeback he wanted and the key thing really is Ocon has absolutely raised his game from last year when he was certainly behind Ricciardo but it's difficult to work out where that places Alonso is Alonso underachieving trying to catch up is he a shadow of what he was he's certainly not come back all guns blazing isn't the uh, Alonso who destroyed Van Dorn's career is it Williams uh, George Russell got out of a Q2 and then they had they tried something aggressive in the race um, they came the only car then who came in after in the first safety car tried to try tried to do something a bit different got to a point where they were almost 10th and then faded towards the end so again no points for them um and you could begin to wonder whether they get any points because the only chance they've really got perhaps is in monaco if they can do some ridiculous qualifying and hold the position alfa romeo uh anthony Giovinazzi was very very unlucky because he actually he came in for a pit stop which would have given him track position by by doing it during the uh safety car and his actual his tire had deflated whilst in the uh blanket there had been a valve uh, stem problem and he, so they had to go and give him a completely new set of tyres and wasted a huge amount of time Giovinazzi actually and I, as you know I've not been a massive fan of Giovinazzi um, I think he's done really well this year I mean but just no one's noticing he's put in some very good performance he's had absolutely no luck whatsoever you know but he's he's doing a good job with that Alpha uh, I'm saying much to my surprise I think uh, Raikkonen was it went very very long in the first in kind of toyed with the idea of getting some points and then decided not to and came 12th Aston Martin, uh, he did, uh, yes, he did finish 12th. Aston Martin. It's not really working for Aston Martin, is it? Um, I, don't th- I think Fettel's better than last year, but the car's even worse than the one he had la- than the Ferrari had last year. Lance Stroll, um, you know, good stroll, bad stroll. This was, you know, more of a, a bad stroll, you know, in qualifying, but he, you know, he, he picked it up and he, and he tried to get the car into points. Actually, you know, kind of had a, a constant battle with Alonso with three or four laps where he shortcut the circuit, then overtook him twice properly, had to give it back. But, Basically, that, that Aston Martin's not a very good car. And whilst they're going to continue to play the low rake, high rake, I think when we get further up the field, we'll find having a low rake isn't necessarily a reason not to win a race. Well, the other low rake car's doing mm-hmm. all right, isn't it? Yeah, not too bad. We'll come on to that. Uh, Ferrari. Uh, sorry, McLaren. 
Uh, yes, race blood to Danny Ricciardo. Got it. Got one over on Lando this time, who I noticed um, repaid the the, uh, the favour that Danny gave him a couple of races ago by letting him pass because yeah. they're on different strategies. Uh, yeah, Dan, I think was was happier with this one because he knew the track, so he could concentrate more on the car. Um, yeah, they weren't as good as Ferrari this week. But that's going to be an ebb and flow, I think, over the uh, the rest of the thing. Remember, is the top eight positions were four teams. It was Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, and McLaren were in the top eight positions, and I think they have established themselves as the top four team in two pairs. And this time the Ferrari pair was better than the McLaren pair, whereas previous this year it's been the other way around for third and fourth. But yeah, I don't think they'll be too worried. Um, yeah, they, they, they don't, they, they certainly, they just didn't quite have it all together in Barcelona. Such a beautiful horizon. Ferrari. Mm. Ferrari looked brilliant, didn't they? Um, they just didn't seem Did to have they? pace the whole they way through. They just looked better than McLaren. Uh, no, but that makes you the third best team, and they look really, really good. And, and they had been absolutely terrible. And Charles Leclerc drove absolutely superbly. Did probably the best again. When none of his great qualifying times, he, he mugged Valtteri Bottas around the outside. He held he held on to fourth after he lost it in the pit stop cycle. He was never challenged by Sergio Perez, and Carlos Sainz was seventh. A <laughs> uh, Red Bull. Um, yeah, right. First of all, Sergio Perez. Sergio Perez decided that today was a really, really good time to decide he wanted to be like Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly and completely massively underperform during qualifying, which is the one time where you need to perform in qualifying. Hence, took himself out of the equation uh, for the entire race and came fifth on his own in a very disappointing way. Uh, Max Verstappen came second. And yeah, I think Max Verstappen drove well. The question really is, is what were the tactics? What was the strategy at the front? Lack of confidence in Verstappen, I say. They, sh- well, they, 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 they knew he didn't have it to take it. To I, I think it's indicative of, of a problem in that, you know, it's a lot harder, oddly, it's a lot harder doing strategy when you've got something to lose in the lead. It's very easy doing your clever guerrilla strategies that uh, Red Bull were doing, you know, in previous years when they had, they could try something different because they had nothing to lose. Well, suddenly they got something to lose, and it then makes them feel very constrained. Mm, um, and they and they kind of, and I think that I don't I think they don't they lost confidence in Verstappen. I, I think that they just lost confidence in themselves and the car. Because it, when Lewis came in for that second stop on mediums, they could have got Max back out in front of him Correct. on softs. Now, their argument was the softs would have gone off. But you kind of think, yeah, well, he would have had an initial burst of pace. He may have been struggling in the last couple of laps, but he would be in, he would be in, the battle would have been between two different compounds of a similar age, not the same compound, 17 laps different. So you'd think he'd have had more of a chance of holding Lewis off. Totally very difficult to overtake. So I, I just feel they missed that one. And I, and, and because, the, I, you know, right, you've only got a minute to think about it, but it comes down to what do, what do we, do we think he's going to get past us? Yes, probably he is. So what we need to throw the dice because the worst case scenario comes second. But I think it, it, they, they probably felt, you know, they, they didn't want to take those risks. They're just worried about the being, you know, what happens next. And this is a problem. It's really hard to be in the, it sounds weird. Strategy's hard if you're already winning. Did they think that Lewis wouldn't catch them perhaps? No, no, they're not. They're not naive. They came out things saying, "I'll catch him on the last lap," and that was just to 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 help Max's confidence. Max said it was all over from the moment they knew they knew once they didn't come in that unless something untoward happened, which is always a chance, um, 
Lewis and the Mercedes were able to catch up that time with plenty of laps spare and they would arrive with such a big advantage that they could get close during the bits where you shouldn't get close, which is up through the, the top of the circuit and through the chicane, and therefore they would be within half a second when they hit the DRS and that would be, it'd be all over. So, they, they, yeah, they, it wasn't, it, but it wasn't, it didn't need to be that way. And they should have taken the gamble, but they got they, they got that paralysis that affects teams in the lead sometimes. It's happened. I've seen it happen to Ferrari. It's happened to McLaren a lot. McLaren were really bad for that for that strategy paralysis in the early 2000s when they were fighting Ferrari. Um, and certainly, it happens. Mm. It's happened to Mercedes on a number of occasions. And Mercedes. Uh, well, Valtteri Bottas decided to show his his true. You know, he wanted he wasn't going to be pushed around by um, by blocking Lewis for a bit. I've no idea Hardly. what point that was. Well, he didn't let him through when he should have done. And it's, it's right. team. If you look, if Perez pulled over and braked. He actually parked. He put his indicators on to let, let Verstappen pass, uh, which I have nothing. I have no problem with. You know, this is this is team sport. It's a team game. Uh, and then Valtteri decided to kind of not let him through, and then get then seemingly got overtaken properly, which is even worse, isn't it? You actually get overtaken by your your teammate rather than let him through. Uh, and Do you after Bottas has been myself, told that his uh, contract's not being renewed, then. Do we think Bottas is going to be replaced mid-season? Asks Dave Volker. No, that's never going to happen. We said that last week. That won't happen. Um, But I think, you know, know, I don't think he said it. There's no way they've told him yet because that would be demotivating. Even they think it. He may have just decided that's what's going to happen. He may have seen the writing on the wall, but they won't have told him anything. Um, And then Lewis Hamilton won because of the car. (laughs) Of course he didn't. He won won because he's absolutely... Incredibly talented, and he and he made the tyres last, and he, he he ran the car. He just he just he's got his race craft. You know, it's an argument about you know, who's the fastest driver in F1. Who knows? I'll tell you who the fastest ever race distance is, and that's Lewis Hamilton. Uh, this from right turn lover, uh, very Red Bull. It's easier to do strategy if you had the right tyres, which Red Bull didn't. No mention of Verstappen pitting on Ask Die lap earlier than told. What do you mean they didn't have the right tyres? They had the same tyres as everybody else. Well, they, 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 by the time we got to the race, Mercedes had already had always thought this might be where we, where we ended up. So when they had their six sets of tyres, which you only have, you take six sets of tyres into the race. Um, you have to give all the tyres back, and you have to have one set of each compound. So they all have one set of hards, which were useless. Yeah. So they only had five sets they could actually use. Um, obviously, these are rolled in through qualifying as well. And Mercedes, of course, um, decided to use mediums. And saved a new through. set of mediums for the race yeah. as well. Well, everyone had, everyone had a new set of mediums, but rather than use the softs in, during qualifying, uh, they used mediums in the first session of qualifying. So they actually, the, the ones that Lewis had put on had four laps on them, three laps on them, sorry. Um, and that was a deliberate ploy because they wanted to have two, two usable mediums that didn't, didn't burn them during the race. That's because they just knew what the tire wear was like. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think. Were the, you surprised that Mercedes didn't want to keep hold of the race lead or, or keep race position? Because they did give, they did give that up, didn't they? They had the opportunity to pit and they yeah, did. they had the, you're absolutely right. They had the opportunity to just go about right to other questions about Verstappen's um, call. I don't think, I think it appears there have been some pre-organised things in the race. If a certain thing happened, you came in anyway. And Max felt the tyres go off the end of the cliff. And actually, he was absolutely right. If you look at the sector times as he came in, he just they they just gone. So he peeled into the pit. So so, But they would have known he was coming in with about 25 to 30 seconds of warning. And they were already primed to bring him in the following lap anyway. So it wasn't quite as, you know, everyone's sitting around around the back having a cup of coffee and a fag and suddenly the car turns up. It's They're, they're already, you know, 
ready to go and I'm coiled springing. There's always has to be a f- having a fag round the back with a coffee as far as Nick's concerned. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Nick Damon with the F1 team by team. Bye-bye. Midweek motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Uh, and it's half time and it's 1 0 to somebody. Just to prove we're live. Coming up in hour two. The uh, Indy 500 entry list uh, is... Oh, no, has just come out, Chad, and we'll be talking about that uh, in this second hour. We'll be looking forward to uh, IMSA racing at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course at the weekend. Seems an age since they have been racing. With a bit of luck and a fair wind, we'll have Gradient Racing's Mark Miller uh, to talk about getting back to racing. But next, it's the big interview... And it's a great friend of the programme, the one, the only, Jimmo, comes next. Series 16, episode 19. This is Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Right, as promised then, here is Johnny Morlam who joins us uh, on Midweek Motorsport. Evening, Jimmo, how are you? Hi, John. Great to be back on. Um, how are you? I'm how are all you right, actually. Doing? Glad, glad to have you back on um, after what has been for everybody in, in motorsport, obviously, a really difficult 14, 15, 15 months. And in, and in fact, when we were setting this up, I was reminded that one of the last times that I was actually at a racetrack to work uh, in a TV or radio capacity, and I think it might have been, actually, was it, was it uh, Spa last year for the... European Le Mans series. Johnny and I went over in a Hyundai uh, i30 fastback and, and had a, a wheel of a time. And you and um, Bonamy Grimes were there, but ended up not competing. And that was the start, really, of things going odd for everybody because the rules changed whilst we were at Spa, didn't they, if my, my memory serves? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we'd been out of the car because our last race that we'd done under sort of what we call, I guess, semi-normal or old normal circumstance, it had been <laughs> the normal, Austin, yeah, the Austin race in the WEC um, and at Cota. And so we'd done that race and then literally things were beginning to sort of kick off with COVID and no one at that point, that was the end of February, so no one at that point was really aware what was coming but we knew something was coming. And then lo and behold, literally the day before we were due to fly to Sebring, everything started closing down. I think that was about the 13th or 14th of March. So Sebring got cancelled literally the day before we were due to fly, it got cancelled. In fact, some of our Ferrari guys were already out there when it got cancelled. And then of course, everything just went into total lockdown and we didn't drive again or weren't due to drive again until the Spa WEC race which obviously got pushed back and delayed. And then what we decided to do, along with two or three others who were doing WEC, I think Francois Perraud also mm. decided to do it, was rather than go out testing, we'd do the European Le Mans series race. Which was the weekend which, before. Which was literally the weekend yeah. before. Stay out in between and then do the WEC race and use the European Le Mans series race, albeit that was on Dunlops rather than Michelin's. But just as a bit of a test and get Bond back in the rhythm, get me back in the rhythm, get Charlie Hollings, our third driver, back in the rhythm. So we went out there and things were going well, actually. I mean, yeah. we were quick straight out of the box on the Dunlop rower. I think we were third straight away in the first practice and after the first day's practice. And uh, then I think that evening, 
we were told that Belgium had gone into the or was going to go into the red zone come Saturday morning at 4 a.m. or something, Correct. at which point we would have needed to quarantine when we went back into the UK. And then the Motorsport uh, UK were drawing up letters to potentially exempt us from need to quarantine if it was for motorsport activities but that was only for motorsport activities and this is where very quickly for for bon it became a situation where he was like well hang on a minute this isn't my profession this isn't right. my living i'm here doing it for fun and i don't really feel comfortable and nothing it was all very gray at that point as Massively. you remember and uh, he wasn't comfortable that we could come back and he had any exemptions really and truly based as if he had legal exemptions he felt like maybe he morally it wasn't the right thing to do. Fair point. And he's got pretty. He's got a pretty strong moral compass, which you can only respect him for. So, we literally left Spa and drove back into the UK because at that point, this Motorsport UK letter hadn't actually been seen. It was all a little bit sort of Correct. wishy-washy. Um, we'd seen the sort of draft of it, and then I literally spent Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of that following week on the phone to the ACO, to Motorsport UK, to their legal counsel. And eventually we came up with a wording on the letter and acceptance that it was slightly ambiguous, but it could be construed to cover Bond. And then we drove all the way back and ended up doing the Spa wet race. Yes. Um, but yeah, that was the first sort of sign of true disruption where it was happening and just things were moved. The goalposts just kept shifting. I mean, when you're sat at home in lockdown and you, you realise what's going on, but nothing's really shifting constantly. And that's when I began to realise that it wasn't so much the lockdown that was killing us. It was the fact that the goalposts kept, kept being moving. shifted. So you couldn't plan. It's almost impossible to plan it, for the future. And that's where the difficulty has come. Particularly for the life and soul of the majority of any sports car grid, which are gentlemen drivers who, I don't, and I know that is a, a broad term, but, but effectively what we're talking about here is... Uh, individuals with disposable income for whom motor racing is not their business. They earn their money doing something else. So at, at that point, travelling for quote-unquote work, does, which was still allowed, is that okay? Is that, hang on, but is, is, it was very ambiguous, as you say. Now, that was a year ago, nearly exactly, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Red River Sport continues. You're talking to us now, but we know you for looking after drivers. We know you for guiding people through the maze of of getting to where they want to be as a driver. But what else have you been doing then in in that time? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I've I've probably never, in some ways, never thought so hard and sat down and sort of racked my brains for ways to keep red river sport moving forward and hopefully time will tell maybe it's been a blessing because mm. i actually um obviously red river sport was set up initially just to look after uh, a, a range of professional drivers which we've got on our books but also mainly aimed at sort of amateur drivers just to make sure that their motorsport needs were completely taken care of and that they weren't in any way being sort of a uh, ripped off and making sure you, that uh, we optimize their experience and maximize the value for money they were getting and and just guided them because sometimes it's difficult coming in if you don't know all the right people to to do that and we did that very transparently and it was very very successful and it grew incredibly quickly in a space of two or three years way beyond what i thought <laughs> then obviously covid came along 
And the biggest single thing for us was travel, as we've just mentioned. Yeah. And the fact that most of my clients, even if they could, you know, even if they did have letters that they thought, well, actually, they're legally, I could travel. Most of my clients, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, because there were other client, other uh, gentleman drivers out there who chose to just say, right, well, I'll, I'll get in a private jet and go. I don't, I don't care sort of thing. I don't mind as long as I'm not doing anything illegal. You know, it didn't affect me. But I think most of my clients were very much thinking, well, let's just sort of hunker down and take a view that we're going to take a year out and see see what comes. And for and for people just using, I know we keep using Bon as the example, but he's kind of the Red River Sport poster boy. <laughs> but just just for him, him, it wasn't even so much a case of feeling like he wasn't allowed to travel or anything like that, because obviously that became clearer and was clarified. It was more that he was thinking, well, why would I want to do the WEC again? Because we we're always due to do two years. But why would I do that again when they're still talking about you know, and this is back in sort of November, December last year. They're still saying, well, you know, Le Mans may be behind closed doors for a second time. It may be mm-hmm. pushed back to later in the year, which obviously was proven to be correct. And even now, we're not 100 percent sure what, what's happening with Le Mans and how it's going to run. The parade, the driver's parade was already they said right back at the end of last year that that wasn't going to happen. So he's like, you know, it's not like the teams come and say, well, because the experience is half the experience, we're going to charge you half the budget. <laughs> they can't afford to do that. So. This is all about the experience. Correct. And it's and if Very you're not getting point. the full experience, and I said to all my clients, "What what do you want to do?" And they all came back and they all said to me, "We'd like to do something because we're getting a bit bored, but at the same time, none of us want to travel outside of the UK." Right. So I sort of sat down and I thought, "Right, what can I do?" And UK picked, series starting to well, come, start to could come do, alive. Could do UK series, and they're incredibly burgeoning grids at the moment. I think because everyone is just fed up with being inside, so they're all like, "Let's go racing." Plus, they haven't spent any money for a year or so, so they've <laughs> probably got more budget. But there was that. But then with Bond, initially, I thought, well, you know, we we've done that. We've been there and ticked that box back in seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and he's on the way through his career development. On the way yes. through his career yes. development, exactly. So. I thought, well, what can we start off that's a new challenge? And the thing that kept on coming back was historic rallying, which a few of my clients had said about the East Africa Safari Rally and stuff like that as their bucket <laughs> list things to do. So I just started getting involved in rallying. I've got my rally license. I got my clients to get their rally license. And then literally yesterday, we were down in Sweetland where we hired the motorsport complex down there ex- exclusively and um, basically just did a day of, of thrashing Mark II escorts around using... Uh, and I must give him an honourable mention at this point, like Matt Edwards, who's the 1819 British Rally Champion, um, a fanta- did a fantastic job helping me set it all up. I met Phil Mills, who was there, who oh. builds the escorts. And it was just because... Phil Matt Mills, who was around. daft enough to sit next to Tony Pond um, and and co-drive... And Peter Solberg. And Peter Solberg, <laughs> and, 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 down through yeah, the years. fantastic Gr- guy. They were all a, bun- a real nice bunch, actually. And you see in the rallying, the passion is there, the way it was probably a little bit in the circuit racing maybe 30, 40 years ago. Very different way of, of doing things. I'm not saying unprofessional, because it isn't. It's very professional, but certainly more relaxed. Yeah. And that was perfect for what we wanted it to. And then, so Red River now is basically putting together sort of one-off experiences uh, it may be that that rally and having the rally license leads to something knowing bond you know four years from now he'll be doing the paris dakar you know but because that's <laughs> that's how he rolls he's an exception to that most of my guys just want to go and have really good time and it's almost like a a club atmosphere a small group of like-minded individuals who go and have a really cool event what? doing something cool and that's kind of how i've sort of what sort of um branched out and diversified with red river sport so i, I didn't even realize 
that there was a different structure for rally license. So I've got an international FIA C license. You've got a, a an A, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So you had to go what down to a, a national license and start again, or is there like a conversion course? Or what, what no, no. What happens is they're completely separate. Wow. So so you start off the rally license structure is not dissimilar to the race license structure. So you start off with the equivalent of like a, a national, I think it's a national B. And then you work your way, which is basically the bait, the first one. And then you just you get signatures from doing airfield rallies and things like that, sort of low level rallies. And then you build your signatures up and um, you work your way up to getting an international C rally license, at which point pretty much not dissimilar to race license, certainly from an amateur level and certainly from a historic rallying level. Yes. The world is your oyster. And then yes. you can go off and race in Corsica and <sighs> Greece and do all these really cool rallies you know and and so that was kind of my thinking it just opens up a whole variety of opportunities for my guys that I can then put in front of them that if they do choose to do it I can't say well I'm really sorry you can't do that without getting your rally license first yes good point it's it's it was something that I thought again looking long term that might actually bring bring more opportunities in and, and di- like i said diversify or die and that's kind of what i've i'm, I'm trying to do well in fairness jim and you and i have talked about this down through the years both on this program and over a, a nice glass of white uh, at various uh, stages in in, uh, in the last few years red river sport was always about experiential feelings about getting people to go and do stuff and to do it in in the best way. Now, you know, with most of your clients, they've had an end point of, I want to go to Le Mans. I want to race in this race. I want to do such and such. So this is not actually a million miles away from that, except Red River Sport is providing the experience rather than advising and steering as they would be on a career path with, with some of your other clients. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I, I guess if you could say we've 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 added like an events management division <laughs> to it, you know, um, and that's not to say that we don't do everything at every level. I mean, the irony of it all is that we actually have started doing the Brit Car Championship together mm-hmm. because um, I said to Bond, you just want to go and have a bit of fun. We've got the, the, the old faithful Ferrari 458 challenge car that we had, which we uh, we call her red one because he's got two of them so we've got red one and red two we've got the t car but red one is is has done us proud uh, and was the first car he ever owned the first car he ever raced and so i just said you want to just go and do silverstone a few weeks ago just just mm. just for a laugh really just and also to get yourself because he got to such a good level bond yes. in the WEC, especially at the end um i just felt like he needed to keep that going because when it's not something you've been doing all your life, you, it can ebb away quicker than if it's something that's been ingrained in you since you were eight years old. And mm. and I just wanted, although he is very good, I have to say, at being out of a car for months and then hopping in and being bang on it again. He's very good at that. But And he just said, yeah, let's just go and have fun. And we didn't, we were just going to do it as a one-off. And then we, we won our class. We were actually in class three now. We used to be in class two and be able to go for the overall wins. And now the 488 challenges are class two and the GT3s are class one. And we're in a, four five eight challenge down with the porsche cup cars in class three yeah yep. and we did well won our class in both races and then we had snetterton at the weekend um yeah hang on wet. talking about people being out of a car um yeah. did i not see your name at the top of the timesheet in the wet qualifying well funnily enough in the wet we um, were lucky enough that the car is so good in the wet with the narrow tires and there was a lot of standing water and it gives you 
it makes you feel like a rock star that car so you know and it, it was nice for me to be driving without the pressures because the WEC did 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 me in to an extent because I had the pressure of performing on track you know against the likes of Fissy Keller and Collard and people like that which I could just about handle but when you're up against 21 year old Nick Nielsen's and people like that it starts getting really wearing and you suddenly realize that that maybe maybe you're getting too long in the tooth for this kind of thing but on top of that managing with the team coaching on doing all of that it was really it, it took like I said to Bob when you get to those levels the WEC it takes a lot of the fun out of it when you're when you're operating under that kind of pressure and scrutiny so it was just nice for me to go out in the brick car race with Bon and no whatsoever and yeah we got overall pole position against all the GT3 cars and everything in, in the WEC which was fantastic and then finished in the top three overall and won our class in class three so we're actually leading the brick car overall championship now so i don't know whether we'll continue with that or not but it just it just bring it it reminded me again of the 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 importance of how important it is to have fun yes and you walk into a wet paddock and most of the people there are there earning a living and most of the people are worried about making sure they do a good job and i'm not just talking the drivers i'm talking Mm -hmm. everyone so there's a sense of a slight sense of anxiety that exudes from the paddock in something at that level whereas if you go into a brick car r- race or or gt cup or something like that that's not the case because the majority of the people there aren't earning their living from being there they're there for fun they're there because they have a passion for something and for them it's going to be a good day r- within reason unless they have an accident or something like that regardless of the results so i think that means you then walk into the paddock and you get an, a, a sense of happiness exudes from it and, it and it's it's contagious and i think that's what's important yeah. i think it's the, now what i'm doing is completely putting things together on a professional basis but doing it in a way that everyone can have fun is is that going to be a, a bigger part of red river sport in the future then uh, jim or in, certainly in the in the medium term because the uncertainty Diminishing a little bit, but it's we're not going to be able. I mean, what was it? Tony Stewart said to me last year when I did the interview for the Pikes Peak with him, and he came on the Pikes Peak live coverage. It's not like switching a light switch back on. You can't just turn on business and motorsport is a business. You can't just turn it back on again. It isn't just going to be. Oh, okay, we're fine now. Click. That's not going to yeah. happen, is it? No, it doesn't work like that. And I think that's one of the reasons that. Um, I think coming out of COVID, I think we're still due a little bit of a downturn um, because of the, the, the macroeconomics are looking great. But the microeconomics in terms of the people, the smaller businesses and people like that and all the restaurant, corporate hospitality business, everything else mm. have taken a, a hell of a kicking. And once the furlough scheme finishes and we're getting a bit political here, I think you'll suddenly find unemployment will spike. Um, and I, I think we're, we're, due, we're due a definite downturn and no doubt on the media all about doom and gloom and all the rest of it. But I do think that what this will create is a massive acceleration of the economy in virtually every country. Um, as long as the inflation isn't out of control with it, we'll be OK. And I think the next three to five years, maybe even two to five years mm. from now, I think will be incredibly exciting because at that point there'll be so many opportunities out there. And people from people who have had to sit down and take re- sort yes. of almost take stock of their situation, yes. yourselves included. I'm sure you can come up with a bunch of things, which means that two years from now, you're going to be much better at doing what you do, but also pr- be able to provide a whole host of services that you've never even considered providing before that you can actually do a really good job at because you didn't need to because you were doing quite well, trickling mm. along, doing what you were doing. 
And that, I think, certainly from my point of view with Red River Sport, is going to be the case. I think it's going to make uh, the diversity I'll be able to offer now. I mean, I've put together this really cool event in the south of Spain at the um, Ascari circuit. Oh, nice. it's, it's literally just an event for, for 10, 10 guys who are going along to it. Who And it's VIP all the way. And it's a bit like a Palmer Sport Day on, on, on steroids. You know, it's just like the best possible thing where they get the chance to drive all these different vehicles and just some really cool events, which, to be quite honest, I would never even have considered doing that two years ago because my main focus would have been on getting amateur drivers better, coaching them, making them quicker. And it, I was quite blinkered in the way I looked at it. And now I, th- I like to think that I'm a little bit more, my horizons have, have, have sort of um, slightly wider. I think something that you said there, Johnny, is very interesting about going back to having fun. Um, I spoke to Dave Smithson from the on this show from the British Motor Racing Marshals Club recently, and and I was looking for positivity about what had happened in the 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 great yellow flag period, as Eve calls it, and and some of their and I loved what he came back with. Some of their processes forced upon them by social distancing and and COVID, they would never have thought to do that had it not been forced on them. And they've found in some cases that it's more um, serviceable and more efficient to do certain things electronically. And yeah. and they'll keep hold of that. And you're, you saying, let's have fun, is, is, I mean, our business will never never go back, I don't think. I think broadcasting no. will change. Um, I, I don't think that everything will be the same. We've all learned new skills. We've had to. And the world's changed dramatically. Exactly. It's, it's, and it will never go back. And that's not to say that it's going to be worse. I think it's, it's going to be different. Be different. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There's things like the electronically signing on and all the rest of it that I think is actually really, really positive. I'm not so sure that having the remote driver briefings where all you need to do to is say to the head of the championship yes i read the briefing notes um i'm not sure that i think we need to go back to having real driver briefings because having witnessed some of the stuff i witnessed in the pit lane at the brick car race i suspect that that could have been avoided if if there'd been a little bit more cohesion but most of some a lot of the things i see that are started remotely are really really positive and make the whole thing a more enjoyable experience because no one likes to stand in a bloody queue and sign on and do all of that so so I, th- I do think i do think that that is a positive and in terms of people having fun i think i think you're right i think it's all about having fun i think the problem is we all get into this because we love it and we enjoy it and then the fun bleeds out of it the more successful and the higher up you go i mean yeah. how many people in a formula one paddock are actually having fun whose name doesn't start with lewis and end in hamilton you know uh, <laughs> or work for mercedes on that side of the garage so you know it's it's not it's it's it ceases to be and even he's probably not having as much fun as people think he is because there's so much other that stuff he has to do yeah. to perform I remember um, Andy Andy Merrick coming um, to drive with us in my first ever six-hour race in the 360 at yeah. uh, Donington when we drove the old I Porsche. love your racing stories, by the way, John. Wow. It, it was, well, because I've got so few of them, I'm always impressed that you can remember every detail of every lap you've ever done. Um, but we were driving an old 924 Cup car. And and Merrick got into it and, of course, was super quick. And funny enough, in in the wet, was quicker than all the more exotic cars. Uh, and he, he found me seconds around the track. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I said, hey, Andy, thanks very much, mate. It was really good for you to come here. We're raising money for, for charity as well. That was the whole, yeah. the whole point of it. And he said, do you know what? I've really reconnected. 
this is why I got involved in motor racing. Since I've had a ball, I've had a great day. Are you yep. finding that in as an individual 100%, as well? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. When when we did that, and obviously it's nice when you're doing well and you're winning. But when I got that overall pole and they came in and, and Bond was happy and the team were ecstatic because we're running with FF Corsa by Red River Sport, um, so they're basically partnered with us to run the cars. And um, I came back in and I just. I just thought, yeah, this is this is what it's about. It's mm. just fun. There's no downside to this. You know, Would it have mattered if you didn't get the pull? No, it wouldn't have done. It wouldn't have done, genuinely, because... Sorry, can you just I, say that again? Because in all I the years I've known you... I wouldn't have been as happy. I wouldn't have been yeah. as happy as I was, but I still would have... Just the sheer joy of driving. At one point, Bon came on the radio in... I think it was in pre-practice at one point, and he just came on the radio and he said, I bleep love driving this car. And that is what it's all about. You could put me in that car and send me out. And so long as I've got a predicted lap timer so I can try and better my own time, yeah, yeah. Just I'd be happy as anything just driving around just for the sheer joy of driving. And unfortunately, when you're moving up and you're getting paid to do a job as a professional driver, you don't ever you, – you do get moments when things are going well where you feel happy and good about yourself. But the sheer joy of being a part of, of motorsport bleeds away because you, you know that there's somebody there observing everything you're doing – and if you are quickest or amongst the quickest, you're still worried, right, I've got to stay here. Mm-hmm. And when you're not amongst the quickest, you're worried about how you need to get there. And it's just everything is just there's just that little niggling worry all the time. Even when you're on pole, you think, well, that's good. Now I need to do well in the race. And then you win the race and you're like, well, God, next weekend, I've got to do it all over again. It's always mm-hmm. that. Certainly mm-hmm. it was for me anyway. And I think reconnecting what Andy Merrick said to you is exactly spot on I think I've reconnected with the sort of grassroots passion level of Brit car and I and I and I I'll tell you four years ago we went into it for the first time with Bon and I was very much focused on getting Bon and it was just a stepping stone to mm-hmm. get him to where he needs to get to and I probably shouldn't say this but I was probably guilty of sort of underestimating the value of it yeah. really because I was coming down I've been doing obviously IMSA and WEC and everything else and I wouldn't say I looked down my nose at it because I like to think I'm, I don't do that. But I, yeah, I but it was just, a means to an end there, it Jim. It was, or... and, I made, and I didn't go out of my way to meet people in the paddock. I very much kept myself to myself with Bon and everything else. This time around, it's not like that at all. This time around, I'm feeling very different. I'm feeling like I'm part of the paddock Brilliant. rather than just dropping in. And I think that in itself just demonstrates what motorsport should be all about. And um, And I just think from my side it's really nice to be able to do that and bon has already been successful enough as an amateur and i i did tell him when you get to work it won't be as much fun as you think it's going to be because of that and he just admitted to me he said yeah absolutely but bon's in it for two reasons one to have fun but bon is also the sort of person that needs a huge challenge Mm -hmm. and he needs to be challenged constantly so that's why he always goes up for things that actually he almost feels like he's taking his medicine because that's part and parcel of, yes, of the process. Exactly so. He gets a he gets a, a satisfaction out of that. But other other clients I've got, like for example Ivor, who we haven't mentioned in ages, you know, yeah. and he and uh, Bond said to me, "Well, why wouldn't he go and do Brit Car? Because you know, at that level, he do he do quite well." And I was like, "I think for Ivor, it's not about the winning or doing well. It's about being part." of something bigger. So yes. Ivor would probably prefer to go and race, I don't know, in a really cool race, you know, go and do the Bathurst in a GT4 Ugh. or something Ugh. and run around and run around dead last than go and race a GT4 at Brands Hatch, albeit on the Grand Prix circuit on a sunny day, which would be lovely in a brick car race and win it. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yes, so yes. P- people want different things out of it. And that's one of the things but isn't that, that, that we the try joy and of our sport though? 
within a field of 60-odd cars at Le Mans, there will be so many different goals. 24-hour series by Creventic. Some people are just there because they've absolutely always wanted to drive that circuit or they're there with their mates or, or whatever. And that's, that's the lovely thing, I think, about motorsport. There are different goals and people are winning at every level whether or not they're first and standing on the stop te- top step. Yes. I mean, basically, in answer to that, that's the... You, you are I love fortunate. That. You are fortunate enough at Radio Show Limited, Radio Le Mans, to cover... A whole variety True. of very high-level motorsports we are all the way down Johnny, to right. Creventic. Not that Creventic's not high-level, but you know what I mean. Yes. Sort of lower level, where it's largely amateur and people there. So you're seeing, you, and you probably observe it yourself. You see the people that are there, very business-like, do well, maybe not smiling that much. And then you see it down to the people who you interview. He's just got out of the car. He's never driven around that track before. He's fifth in, in his class, 18th overall, and he's the happiest guy in the paddock. You know, and that that to me is the lifeblood of, of motorsport. I didn't see that before because I was so fixated on a Correct. goal that I needed to get to. But now that my my main goal is actually to provide an experience for others, I think I've finally woken up and realised that that is what matters and that's it's what the, is important. It's and that's what we've been talking about with with Johnny Morlam, um, Red River Sport, the experience. It's all about. The experience. Does it make it better if you win? Of course it does. Get on the podium, whatever. But if you've done better than you're expected and you've had a good time, contrast the weekend. Front of the field, Frickadelli Porsche, uh, first and second at the Nürburgring six hours. Somewhere down in the 60s, 70s in terms of finish, there was a Dacia Logan running around <laughs> that, that won its class. And I'll guarantee you that the three drivers who did that had every bit as much fun as the Porsche factory drivers in the Frickadelli car. More fun, John, uh, oh, I'd hazard to fun, say. More fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, if you ever want to give uh, any of, uh, of, of your clients a real challenge, just ask them to, to have me as their co-driver in anything that they do, mate. Then they'll have to work <laughs> doubly hard. Johnny, thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. It's been nice. The cathartic process. <laughs> Continues once again. Johnny Morlam on Midweek Motorsport. Right, Tim, where shall we go next? We shall go to Thruxton, John. Will we? Yes, we, we, we shall. Sorry, how you caught me after I'd thrown you there after talking to Johnny for half an hour. I was having a drink. Let's go to Thruxton then. British fast, Britain's fastest circuit in the last race track that I drove around. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to go there? Uh, the weekend, the which weekend. two in-car championship started its season there, uh, and uh, triple header as always. First race won by Josh Cook in a Honda Civic uh, Type R. Second race yep. won by Josh Cook in a Honda Civic Type R. Third race yep. won by reigning champion Ash Sutton in the Infinity Q50. But neither of those drivers are leading the championship. To, to lead championships and win, you need consistency. So who was the most consistent driver? Three second places at the weekend? No, three third places. Three third places at nearly, the weekend. Nearly uh, got a win, nearly got a second in that third race. Uh, friend but, of the show, uh, well-known groovy show, person. Yes. Jake uh, Hill. Jake, Jake Hill. Well done. Well done. Uh, didn't get to see any of it at the weekend, I've got to be brutally honest, because I was uh, busy uh, with other racing 
uh, around the world. But There's some great highlights on at the, the weekend. You can catch those. Excellent. Very good. Very good. Uh, and for those of you in the UK, by the way, we should have mentioned um, MotoGP uh, on ITV4 for a couple of races this season, including the next one, isn't it? They've got a lot of uh, racing on uh, on Sunday. So if you want to catch the repeat of the uh, Touring Car highlights, that's 7.05. <laughs> Which is Nick, followed Nick by a World Superbike season preview at 8.40, which is followed right. by five and a half hours of live MotoGP from 9.45. And then wow. you've got uh, the best Isle of Man TT races of the decade, a documentary after that. Who's, who's going to be presenting, hosting the uh, ITV coverage? I presume it's Steve Deer who's doing the commentary. It will be Steve Deer, yes. Oh, so he's going he's gonna to host do, it as he's well? He's doing it all. Wow, he's a man of many, commentary books. many, uh, many hats. Hats, yes. <laughs> How many hats? He will be wearing a hat, yes. Will he? Excellent. I'm holding uh, a microphone, hopefully, so that we can hear him. Well, yeah. Moving on to tomorrow night. Yes, tomorrow night at nine o'clock. It's a sim. No, it's not. That's at eight o'clock. Tomorrow at nine o'clock. It's on the grid, and uh, I wanted them to talk about uh, Roland Dane's uh, top secret new. Uh, single-seater single series that he's formula, launching yeah. uh, from Triple uh, H. But it's top base. secret, so they can't. It's top secret, and they obviously aren't talking about that. Uh, but they are going to be talking to uh, Stephen Grove from Kelly Grove Racing, uh, who have won as a team owner just four rounds into their first uh, season uh, owning a supercars team. And Cameron Hill will also be on the show uh, he is in the Porsche Carrera Cup Australia this year and won his third consecutive race at the weekend. Uh, plus all the news from the bend at the weekend. That's on the grid with uh, Tony Shebecki and Richard Quayle tomorrow night at nine. And we mentioned Roland Dane's uh, top secret uh, series. Uh, there's something else top secret which is being unveiled on Sunday and that's uh, the McLaren uh, there's a McLaren announcement on Sunday about an hour before the green flag at Mid-Ohio. And that's all we know about it. I, I do know some other stuff as well, but... That's all we're allowed to, to say it. about it. Well, it's allowed, I wouldn't say. I'm, I'm not subject to anything. I wasn't at the press, the written press briefing that they had yesterday, wasn't it? Or was it today? It was yesterday, yes. It was yesterday. Yesterday morning. Um, they're all subject to an embargo. Um as we therefore, there. we're not allowed to talk about it to us. And therefore, we're but not allowed to repeat what they didn't tell us. Or say that it's nothing to do with sports cars. So, we, shall, we, uh, we shall all know on Sunday. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Interesting time. Interesting times. Midweek Motorsports, Series 16, Episode 19. Tim. Uh, let's welcome Shay Adam to the show. Hello, Shay. Hello. Let's make you a bit louder, John. Shout if you want. You are very far away from me right now. Uh, everyone's very far away from you now, Shay. Uh, not a lot of Mormons. <laughs> uh, IndyCar has announced its uh, entry list for the Indy 500, and it's uh, got fewer cars on it than we were expecting. Why is that? Uh, one fewer car, Rick Ware Racing, electing not to enter their, um, well, they had one car that they were entering on their own, two cars in addition that they're entering. 
um, with assistance of other teams, i.e. Dale Coyne Racing, they've elected not to enter the car that they were going to run by themselves, which was there for testing car number 52. I believe that car was driven by Cody Ware during the open test. It was quite a bit off the pace. And considering that we are going to have a bump day, they decided that they're not going to try and run that car for the 105th Indianapolis 500. But we do have 17 Honda-powered cars and 18 Chevys on the grid trying to make it in. So that's going to be pretty entertaining for that uh, Saturday bump day and then Sunday when somebody actually gets cut. And uh, a touch of patisserie has been added to the uh, Indianapolis Media Center, I hear. Really? I I haven't heard about this. Uh, Roman Grosjean uh, has... uh, or someone related to Roman Grosjean, has delivered some uh, branded macaron for the, uh, uh, I thought for that the press corps. Wasn't it Bitcoin? <laughs> Didn't um, someone have Bitcoin added to their car? Renus VK. Renus Bitcoin VK's is got his Bitcoin, sponsor. Yes. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, IndyCar this weekend is on the road course, of course, for the... Of course. Yes, for the uh, fifth time within a just over two-year window, because, of course, they ran three races at the Indy Road Course last year in 2020, and then one in 2019. So the drivers definitely have no excuse for not knowing which way the turns go, unless, of course, they're a rookie. Um, But it should be a pretty good race this weekend, taking place traditionally as it does on the Saturday, because as of Sunday, things switch over to start focusing on the 500. Uh, Simon Pagano won this race in 2014, 2016, and 2019, and Will Power in 2015, 2017, and 2018. Uh, What are their chances this year? Um, pretty darn good. Simon Pagano, and congratulations to him, by the way, just welcoming a new child into the world for uh, the first-time father. So congratulations to he and his partner who have that special uh, announcement this past, I think it was this last week. Um, But Simon has always been very, very strong at the Indy Road Course. He will run well here. Power, of course, is one of those drivers who will not be very happy with the way that the season began, considering that he is the only Team Penske driver yet to make it up onto the podium this year. So that's going to be something he wants to change. But it's a very competitive race. And it is one also where the Hondas tend to be fairly strong. So Chevy is going to have their work cut out for them. Uh, And one final point on this. There are nine drivers who've competed in every IndyCar Series race on the road course at Indianapolis. Can you name them? Um... Dixon, um, Ray Hall, Sato, Bourdais, no, not Bourdais, um, Power, um, I give up. Uh, did you say Joseph Newcastle? I did not say Jojo. Uh, well, he's one of them. Um, oh. And James Hinchcliffe. Oh, Hinch. Ooh. Sorry, Hinch. My bad. Uh, let's move on to IMSA news now. Right then, Tim, if we're going to go to IMSA, and before we get Shea to talk about uh, the weekend's action, let's bring in 
a guest, and not just any guest, it is Mark Miller. Hello, Mark. Good evening, or good afternoon, as it will be for you. How are you? I'm good. Good afternoon. Good evening to you. Uh, looking forward to getting back to racing. It's been quite a, a long gap for, for all of the, the IMSA championships. It has. It's. I mean, it's a big enough gap between Sebring and now, much less uh, last season for me and and now. So this is a, a long time coming for us to, to kind of get back on track, but we couldn't be going to a better place. It's a track that I really like and enjoy, and it uh, uh, keeps the competition very tight, for sure. An excitement uh, in so many ways, because Gradient are back with the... Acura NSX, uh, and and I'm led to believe that this is this is a new car to the team or a different car to the team. Yeah, it is a new to us car, but it's a it's a car that has great great heritage and lineage. It's a car that uh, uh, Mario Farnblocker drove last year at Mike Shank Racing. Uh, we acquired it at the end of last year, and um, we're really excited to to kind of you know try to keep that car up on the pointy end of the grid uh, just slightly with a different paint scheme on it than than it's normally uh, been seen with. I know you've been out you, you've been out and and given the car a shakedown and a bit more. Is there noticeable differences between the chassis, this chassis and the, the car that you were using in the past? No, not really. I mean, um, uh, yes, and uh, JAS and, and HPD do a really solid job of producing a great race car um and all the acura nsx gt3 evos are um you know pretty pretty equal i mean i think with each team you get they put their own little nuances on and obviously uh being with uh mike shank racing they they've got a little um nuances of their own and then we've andrus has spent some time in our team in the shop in austin texas to to kind of put some changes on that are, are we're more comfortable with. That's Andres, the team manager, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a nice little melding of, of the best of everything for us, I think. But um, no, the cars feel very similar. Um, obviously, it, it, with homologated GT3 cars, you know, all of the cockpit and, and seat position and everything is, is homologated. So we just have to put our own little personal touches on it. I hate this phrase, but was last year then... It's in some ways a learning year for Gradient with the with the NSX. And if that is the case, have you learned enough to be able to take the late season momentum through into the the Sprint Cup this year, the Sprint Challenge races, the shorter races this year in, in IMSA? I, I don't think it's a negative thing to say at all for us to say it was a learning season. Um, I mean... My experience in GT3 racing has always been um, kind of the bigger races, endurance races, as I would come in to kind of help with uh, as a third driver. Hmm. So it was new to me in that a lot of these tracks that, that we were racing in the Sprint Series, I had only run in GT4 and Trans Am. So, hmm. you know, it was certainly new. Um, and it was a new year for us on Michelin Tires. Yes. You know, we were really learning a lot on the Michelins for WeatherTech, and to, it was also new to Till for that, um, you know, to be able to go into those races in a GTD car uh, with IMSA. So it was definitely a learning experience. I think we're a lot more confident and comfortable going into uh, the races that we're, we're seeing this year in IMSA Sprint with the same 
type of tire, yeah. uh, the same type of car and tracks that we've raced there before in this car. So certainly there's a lot more confidence to be able to, to take advantage of that first practice session, um, you know, a little more efficiently. Yeah. And, and that's, that definitely builds a lot of confidence for me going in, particularly mid Ohio, just because we had such a strong run there and, and good effort there last season yes. and to be able to go there and, and know, um, so much more than we did going in. I think our first two practice sessions, we really struggled <laughs> just because it was such a, a new experience. And I think if we could roll off the trailer and be, you know, right there where we, where we left off, we'll be in much more, uh, confident place and confident footing going into the season never enough time when you get a race weekend on track never enough track time we know that <laughs> uh detroit belle isle uh, as well this season uh, absolutely a home race for you yes that is a home race for me and that will be a new one for me in a gt3 or gtd spec car but i've um, got plenty of laps around there in the trans am car and really enjoy uh, the detroit grand prix on belle isle it's one, it's certainly a fan-friendly environment for Friday. They have an open day. You can just show up. You don't need tickets, and it's just packed with people that are interested in, in what's going on and interested in racing. And that, for me, that's that's a great thing to be able to bring to the table uh, for our partners as well as just the family and friends to be able to have there um, and see the facility and see our cars and stuff. So I'm excited about the Detroit Grand Prix. Um, street racing is, is, you know, into itself a completely different animal. So we really are looking forward to being able to experience street racing in the GTD program and, and really hopefully get us prepped for Long Beach at the, uh, at the yeah. end of the year. Uh, Detroit, Belle Isle, particularly now with the, the longer run, um, down from, turns two three sort of area it's not your typical street track though there, there, there are some 90 degree turns of course there are but there's some very fast sweeping corners as well yeah i mean leading on to turn one and two you know leading on to that back that first straightaway a little short shoot is actually really quick <laughs> um and elevation elevation changes that you don't expect from a street circuit because there's a nice big hump there that you have to kind of uh, kind of dr- drive over and it really carries the car. If you weren't already close to the wall, you will be next to or onto the wall um, very quickly if you carry a lot of speed through there. And there's also coming onto the front straightaway, there's a nice little kink there that really you have to commit to speed to, to really generate a good lap time and, and, you know, keep track position. And you've got to be really good there as well. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, Detroit Grand Prix has got a lot of nuances of a little bit of everything from bumpy sectors to um, you'd be surprised there's there are some smooth sections of the track, but there's some bumpy segments under braking, 90 degree turns. There's curbing that you can use. There's curbing you can't use. Uh, There's just a little bit of everything. So, Mark, what have you been doing to fill your time? Um Whilst you've not been racing, I know you love all things mechanical. Uh, I'm, I'm told that you built a, a BMW cafe racer a few years ago. You've been tinkering with that. What, what have you been doing to fill your time since you were last competitively behind the wheel? Well, I mean, you're setting me up for a lot of like cool projects I'm working on, but I got married. So I think that's the thing I need to, <laughs> I need to really say is uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, got married to Tabitha and, uh, who I've been seeing for many years and she's been a huge 
support of my career and racing and family. So um, we're really happy about that. And moving into, you know, I think that trumps any like small car projects I have going on around, but I am keeping busy um, doing a lot of driver coaching and traveling around with uh, working with Ferrari Challenge customers and Porsche uh, Carrera Cup customers and you know, GT3 customers. So that keeps me extremely busy. But uh, if I have an opportunity to kind of fill in in either GT4 um, at events this year in IMSA, um, as well as the long races, I really love the endurance formats and spending several hours in the car, in and out of the car throughout a 24 hour period. That's a big, I am a huge fan of that process. So if there's opportunities for that for the remainder of the year, I'm certainly going to, um, I've already scheduled those weekends to potentially be gone, uh, so that I can manage to get there. So I'm looking forward to any opportunities that may arise. Uh, so it's it's great to to know that you're going to be part of it again, Mark. And um, we wish you all the best. Uh, what I do know is that whilst you'll be taking, as ever, you're racing seriously, as will everybody uh, at Gradient, that you'll be having some fun with Till uh, as well. And that's such an important part. I think we've all come to learn that, haven't we, in the last year or so? Yeah, Till has, I mean, Till, we became fast friends when we met years, like five years ago. So um, the interesting thing about Till is every time we turn up to, you know, we don't always talk on a weekly basis, but when we turn up, it's basically picking up where we left off and we always have good fun. Um, our personalities mesh really, really well. And I think the reason, uh, the reason that is, is just cause he's not easily offended by anything. So <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's, if you want to be friends with me, that's probably what needs to be one of your best qualities is you can't be offended by anything. So, um, you know, we get, we get along really, really well. And he's, uh, I'm actively looking forward to seeing him kind of really shine this year and, uh, be able to have some opportunities to put some extra work in and, and see where we can't qualify the car, and, and hopefully um, he'll surprise a lot of people this season. It'll be no surprise if you're at the front, as far as I'm concerned. I know how hard you all work. Mark Miller, thanks for joining us on Midweek Motorsport, ahead of IMSA Racing, back on the track at Mid-Ohio this weekend. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. All right, so Mark Miller joining us there. Uh, let's go on to this weekend and some more IMSA news. Well, specifically, we're going to talk about the support races first because we have the Mazda MX-5 Cup uh, racing at Mid-Ohio once again, Shay. Yes, we do. And only one new car, well, new, new car. Uh, as opposed <laughs> new entry. To, new entry. New, new person we've never seen before running in the MX-5 series. That's Woody Hyman, who is from Finlay, Ohio. He's a local guy. He's got experience running around the track on bikes and cars, uh, motor bikes, not bicycles, although maybe bicycles too. That'd be uh, not too bad of a ride. But Woody comes in, joins the JTR Motorsport Engineering team. So that's going to be him, Chris Noons, and Jared Thomas, that mm. whole organization looking for a bit of a bounce back after a rough St. Pete. Uh, and Cher, this is the first natural terrain road course we've had this season. Um Mazda obviously did St. Pete, which is a, a proper road, uh, a straight track rather, um, mm. where on on their own. 
And I, I mean, they've been brilliant everywhere. What's that? That's I can't wait to see those cars at Mid Ohio. It's almost a track that's made for Mazdas. I know it's a an Acura sponsored track, and they do a lot of development work. It could be made for Mazdas. <laughs> Well, think about it. Um, Brian Till, our, our friend and colleague, has long been an instructor yeah, at Mid-Ohio Sports yeah. Car Course because it's designed to try and teach people how to race. The MX-5 Cup is designed to teach people how to race. So it's a perfect amalgamation of everything coming together. And when you consider the remainder of the schedule, Mid-Ohio, then a big break before Road America, we go to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca and then Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. This is setting up where you win the championship. If you're good at Mid-Ohio, you're going to be good at these other tracks. So it, it really sets the tone nicely. Uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge. Tim, what you got on that? I was going to say, Shay, what have you got on that? Oh, okay. Well, no, I've, oh, got, okay. I've, got, a, I've got a couple of stories. Uh, oh. we, we, we mentioned uh, on the entry list, confirmed now that it will be a 36-car field, including the second Riley Toyota. And we kind of stumbled into that last Thursday night at, uh, at the iRacing Pro Series because one of the drivers involved there will be driving the second car. Yeah, Scott Andrews and Anton Diaz Pereira. This was actually announced, I want to say, at the end of Sebring uh, that Riley would be running a second car for these guys. Anton Diaz Pereira has been running in the Michelin Pilot Challenge every now and then with a different team. He ran with LAP Motorsport in a Mercedes earlier on in the year. But the announcement of the second Super coming in and then the pieces started to get put together. Uh, but yeah, very exciting to see that second Supra and, and see what uh, Scott Andrews nonetheless can do behind the wheel. He's going to be a busy boy racing in three, no, two different series this weekend because he's also in the prototype challenge. But we have a few other cars that have driver uh, changes, driver announcements, etc. The uh, Well, we missed him. Nate Stacy, I'll put it this way. Not on the grid at Daytona. We had Kyle Marcelli, the defending 2020 GS champion. For the one race, we were expecting to see him back at Mid-Ohio with Core Motorsport. We talked about that last week, how that program fell through. Nate Stacy is back with American Wheelman is the name of the team. They're running a Ford Mustang GT4. He'll be joined by Jack Roush Jr., uh, we've had a very exciting announcement. Ori Fidani will not be running in the race this weekend because he is anticipating the birth of his first child. Mm. So he's going to be staying in Canada. Chris Green, fellow Canadian, fellow very capable McLaren driver, will be stepping in to share the AWA driving duties with Kuno Whitmer. And FCP Euro comes into the series making their debut in their Mercedes GT4. We talked about them a few months back, actually, when they made the announcement, it was back in uh, January. Nate Vincent and Michael Herskin are their two drivers. Both of them are TCR drivers from uh, World Challenge. Uh, and before we leave uh, Pilot Challenge, uh, Pilot Challenge team Motorsport in action, looking to step up, and they've got a new car already to do it for next year, planning ahead. Yeah, we, we know Eric Carib can't resist buying a new McLaren, and uh, they stumbled across the 720S GT3. <laughs> and uh, around, just, doing nothing. Just, you know, they, they asked it if it had a nice place to stay warm and shelter <laughs> and food, and then it followed them home. So what were they supposed to do? But yeah, they're making no bones about it, looking to make the big jump up into GT3 next year. And of course, the way that the GTD class structure is going to change with GTD Pro coming into play and we still wait to find out what teams are going to be running in that and what cars. 
I'm hearing a lot of big manufacturer shakeups for next year, a lot of different uh, manufacturers associated with different teams. Who knows? We could have a few McLarens on the grid. We could have the one. We could have several. It, it could be like Acura because this year in WeatherTech, we heard the rumblings at Daytona. We only had the one Acura running. Well, at Mid-Ohio this weekend, we've got three. Mm. Uh, uh, and in the big show? Uh, in the big show, I think the only announcement that we've had since last week, the only change has been Andretti Autosport car number 36 for Eligier for their LMP3 machine. It's Jared Andretti and Oliver Askew piloting that car. Still waiting to find out if he's going to join Austin McCusker in the 47 Motorsports LMP3 Duquesne. That has not yet been announced. And we have 17 rookies in the big show as far as drivers who have never been to Mid-Ohio Sports Car Force. Magnuson, Duval, and Pla are the headline. Oh, very, <laughs> very good indeed. Uh, we'll kick off our coverage. We'll have all the races uh, for you uh, across the weekend with Sheer Jeremy and myself looking after that over on RST. The vast majority of them uh, we've got in sound and vision, including the qualifying for WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Go to uh, imsaradio.com. That's the home of all of our IMSA content. You can search all the past content on there. You get all of this year's as well. IMSAradio.com. We've split it away because, frankly, it's just getting too big and the database was creaking. So IMSAradio.com for all the IMSA, uh, all the IMSA content. Uh, coming up after us tonight, Historic Racing News, Can-Am Special. Jim Roller talks to Brian Redman about that big crash. But before them... We have some more Pietro Fittipaldi breaking news, Tim Greer. Uh, we do, and uh, unconfirmed yet whether or not this is related to microwaving tea, but <laughs> this news has dropped since the uh, video of him microwaving tea uh, emerged, and it's that he will no longer be racing in the European Le Mans series uh, for Algarve Pro Racing. Uh, yes, the real reason, of course, is he's test driver for Haas in IndyCar. And uh, no, in Formula the, One. Uh, excuse me, in, in Formula One. And the additional travel um, is going to be a bit difficult for him backwards and forwards. He's test and reserve driver for Haas in Formula One. Uh, and that means he's, I think, sure, that means he's not there for Le Mans either. Correct. In their statement, it says he will not be participating in the remaining five rounds of the ELMS or the 89th running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. That's the big ouchie. Just time, Tim, to remind us what's going on at 8 o'clock tomorrow to kick off where Thursday night? That'll be the Simcast. And it's the Brits this week. Uh, is it? All the de- I don't think it is. I think it's Lewis and uh, it? Ben this week. I, th- I thought they were last week. My apologies. Uh, and do we know what's happening? Uh, they're still putting it together. Well, hopefully they'll be talking about uh, F1 2021 uh, from Ooh. Codemasters, which is going to have a narrative. Well, Lewis Hamilton wins everything. That's the narrative in <laughs> F1, isn't it? Or is it? Is it like that? The Drive to Survive, where just lots of people swear. That's the. I'd narrative, imagine that, there'll it? be lots of swearing. Okay. Not from Ben and Lewis. So join them tomorrow at eight pm here on RS One. 
And on the grid follows that at nine, following us in about two seconds. Well, a bit more than that. Uh, it's the gang on Historic Racing News. Thanks to Johnny Morlam and Mark Miller, to Cher Adam and to Nick Damon. Our executive producer was Tim Gray. Check our listings for all the live at the weekend. ELMS from Red Bull Ring, as well as Porsche a Benelux Carrera Cup and also Leisure European Championship. IMSA from Mid-Ohio, oh, Road Circuit Park, excellence. Now, it's time to say goodnight. So goodnight. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.